You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. October is Child Loss Awareness Month. There are lots of things going on in October. Mm-hmm. This is a, a pretty important topic. And how do we how do we address the the matter of child loss and particularly healing? Well, sacred music plays a part in that. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Brian Hamer. He's an active duty Navy chaplain and author of the Lifted Voice column in Around the Word, Theology for the Curious Christian. Chaplain Hamer, welcome back to the Coffee Hour. Andy and Tara, always a pleasure. So you've written a, a very meaningful and valuable article this month in the Lifted Voice column and particularly addressing the the topic of child loss from the perspective of sacred music playing a role in that. Why sacred music? Why is that meaningful in addressing this topic? Sacred music attends every meaningful event in our life. Think in terms of your baptism, confirmation, wedding day, ordinations, and of course, eventually our own funeral. You will always have music. So from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, from the most celestial joy into the most uh, intense moment of despair, you're going to have music. For example, this year we are celebrating the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's first hymn, A New Song Here Shall Be Begun, that was written in July 1523 in response to the martyrdom of two young men at Brussels in the Netherlands, who held to Luther's biblical teaching, and they lost their lives for holding to the biblical teaching of justification by grace through faith. And Luther immediately sat down, and he wrote a rather lengthy hymn, 12 stanzas, a new song here shall be begun by God's free grace and favor. And then that story tells about what happened to those two young men and encourages all of us to remain faithful. Similarly, if you look at Luther's hymns, written, say, from July 1523 to July 1524. He wrote about 24 of his maybe 37 hymns in that year. And there's a perfect balance, just like in the Psalms, of something that addresses the greatest joy and the deepest sorrow. So in the case of child loss, which is a very deep sorrow, sacred music has tremendous healing power. So tell us about your encounter with this concept of the unborn Christ child. I was in a Roman Catholic bookstore on the west coast of California a few years ago. Well, any, what can I say? Anything that's named Pondre Pio's bookstore, you just have to go in and take a look. <laughs> so buy anything. <laughs> and then and the free items on the rack, a little old, maybe four by six laminated card says, and I have it in my hand right now, Litany of the Unborn Christ Child. Well, I don't know about you folks, but the name that the word that really jumps out at me is unborn. What does this mean? Litany of the unborn Christ child. And exactly as the title implies, it addresses Christ in that state between his conception and his birth. A litany, just to back up a little bit, if you look in Lutheran Service Book on page 288 and 289, you see a litany. It is essentially a responsive prayer where the pastor says one thing. And then the congregation replies, and often those replies are somewhat repetitive and there's meaningful repetition. And here in this litany of the unborn Christ child, if I can read just a few lines, we pray, Jesus, conceived in love by God's Spirit and the Virgin Mary, thank you for the gift of life. Jesus, beloved son of a humble carpenter, thank you for the gift of life. 
Jesus, source of immeasurable joy for Mary and Joseph. Thank you for the gift of life. Jesus, the aging Elizabeth, rejoiced in your presence. Thank you for the gift of life. Jesus, you fill the unborn Baptist with gladness. Thank you for the gift of life. And then it ends in a similar way to our own litany with three prayers. And then I use those three prayers as inspiration for three pieces of sacred music for Child Loss Month. So those selections that you've written about in your article in the column this month, let's start with the first selection. Tell us about the, the story of this selection from composer James McMillan. So in 1996, there was a shooting in Scotland. And you may recall, I know it's been a while, but the shooter killed 16 students, one teacher, injured 15 others before killing himself. James McMillan, one of England's most prominent composers, wrote a work in honor of those who were dead. And listen to this text, and we don't have the actual source for the text. James McMillan says that it's a text that he recalled from his childhood, which is fair enough. But listen to this text. Welcome, Jesus. Deep in my soul forever stay. Joy and love, my heart are filling on this glad communion and sacred day. Now, watch out for that first phrase, welcome Jesus. As you know, we would not say that from the position of unbelief, as if you become a Christian by a prayer. But if you look to the hymns of Philip Nikolai, and I know that uh, Sarah and Luther go up on their rooftop every morning, and they sing Philip Nikolai's hymns in German before they have the first cup of coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what we do. <laughs> I'm barely, exa- barely exaggerating in Sarah and Luther. That when we say welcome Jesus, that normally has a sacramental overtone. She would say that you welcome Jesus in the means of grace as he comes to us by his own initiative. But here in this case, and again, not knowing where this text comes from or its original context, you would say that these children, having been received by God into eternal life, say, in effect, welcome Jesus. So welcome Jesus deep in my soul forever stay, and you could apply that to baptism. Joy and love, my heart are filling. Then I love this phrase, this glad communion and sacred day. Well, that could be confirmation. That could be first communion. And let us not forget that all those things lead us into eternal life of the glad communion and sacred day. If you get a chance to listen to the music, all three of these pieces, by the way, they're short. How important is it when addressing grieving parents? You know the prayer that we all, that all of the preachers secretly pray before their sermon, namely, O Lord, fill my mouth with heavenly stuff and punch me when I've said enough. And we used to say that as a joke at seminary, but it's entirely true. You want to get right down to the meat of the gospel, as this text does. And for those who wish to follow the link and listen to the music, you have two soaring sopranos, which I believe simply depict the souls of the righteous being received into eternal life. And then the prayer, this goes back to that little laminated card, Litany of the Unborn Christ Child, that inspired me to seek out this text. The prayer says... Lord, thank you for first coming among us as the unborn Christ child. Today, untold numbers of our tiny sisters and brothers have been abandoned by the world's leaders, by the traditional defenders of justice, by the healing professions, and even by their own parents. But you are their Savior. You have not forgotten them. Savior, rescue and protect these little ones from the neglect and violence of an uncaring world. 
That's beautiful. So let's talk about the Kyrie. What what is the place of the Kyrie in the liturgy of the church? So the Kyrie, from the Greek word for Lord, and the full expression, of course, is Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. That is the first pillar of the divine service when we go to communion on Sunday. So Lord have mercy, glory be to God on high, the Nicene Creed, the Holy, 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 and the Lamb of God. What we sometimes call the ordinary of the Mass in this context, of course, the, the Lutheran Mass. As you look at that very simple text, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, a few Lutheran distinctives here. First of all, we understand it as a Trinitarian prayer. Thus, Lord, Father, have mercy. Christ, Son, have mercy. And then, Lord, Holy Spirit, have mercy. So it's Trinitarian. It's where the liturgy really begins, because anything before that is a proper that's unique to that day. But the ordinary begins with the Kyrie, and it is comprehensive. It embraces every need. So, Lord... Son, Spirit, have mercy upon us. That is to say, give us all your gifts of salvation. Give us the gifts of the gospel. And thus, the Kyrie is in the divine service on Sunday. It is part of Matins, usually beginning, or at least toward the beginning of the prayers, along with the collect of the day and the Lord's Prayer. And it is in Vespers. And how fitting it is, of course, when we are addressing those who have lost children, that God would have mercy upon them. Hmm. We're learning liturgical terms today as well, I think, which are really valuable as well. It's beautiful to see how most sacred music is connected to the liturgy. It's, it, it comes from the liturgy. It's part of when we gather around God's Word to receive His gifts, that where this music serves us. But it also serves us in our daily lives outside of that divine service or outside of the prayer services as well. And we're going to dig into another piece in just a moment from a French composer. But first, we'll take a, a short break and we'll come back and take a look at that as well. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others. To live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world. To live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Child Loss Awareness Month. Today we're talking with the Reverend Brian Hamer. He's active duty Navy chaplain and author of the Lifted Voice column in Around the Word, Theology for the Curious Christian. We're taking a look at sacred music and its place in healing when talking about child loss this month. So we're, we have a curiae to take a look at today, and this comes from a French composer. Chaplain Hamer, tell us a little bit about this selection. Yeah, so this composer is Maurice Durafle. He is a 20th century composer, and he only wrote a handful of choral works. So one requiem from which this is extracted, that is a requiem, the word rest, that is the Latin mass for the dead. And he has just a few other a few other works, four motets, the one setting of the mass, and is the ordinary of the mass and the Lord's Prayer. And yet every single note is so important, and it's very 
chant-based. So in other words, it's going to flow very melismatically, and frankly, it's going to be pleasant to listen to. This stands in contrast to settings of the Requiem that come from the late Romantic period, especially from Berlioz and Verdi, when they get to the Tuba Mirum and the Dies Irae, that is the loud trumpet and the day of wrath, and they want you to pick the second coming. They have brass choirs and pent timpani and so forth, and boom, and it's made it into commercials and operas and so forth through the years. In the 20th century, composers such as Durafly and a little bit before him, Jorge, toned it down a notch and simply made it very beautiful. Now, one quick caveat, we as Lutherans, of course, do not pray the entire Requiem Mass because there's false doctrine in it. But there are two parts of the Requiem that I always enjoy. And I first heard this piece in a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. The Requiem Mass includes the Kyrie, Lord have mercy. And I'm not addressing it here, but also the Sanctus, the Holy, Holy, Holy. So I do encourage you folks, yeah, we have a good Requiem in front of you. Please explore the Kyrie and the Sanctus, including the Kyrie by Maurice Duraplay. It is short. It is contemplative. And from the opening statement in the men's voices, you have this very melismatic flow, and then it gradually crescendos, and then at the end, it dials it back down. And when we have that upward melodic direction in the Kyrie, well, the Kyrie is a prayer. So the ascending melodic lines simply depict our prayer going up to God. Oftentimes, when you get to Christ have mercy, the melody switches and comes back down, partly because, let's face it, you can only go so high before you have to come down, but it's a nice chance to picture how our prayer goes up to the Trinity. The answers come down in Christ. The prayer from the litany of the unborn Christ child, which inspired me to look upon this curie, reads as follows. Merciful Lord, your tiny infant heart which was later emptied on the cross, offers the world its only hope. Forgive us our sins against the unborn, against their parents, and against all your children. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Yeah, that Duraflay Requiem is beautiful, and you mentioned 4A2. 4A is probably my favorite Requiem. They're just, they're, they are very beautiful pieces, and we will have these links in the show notes, too, so people can find them and listen to them. Now, we talked about the Kyrie. We're going to throw out another part of the service liturgical term, the Nuc Dimittis. So what is the place of that canticle, of Simeon's canticle, the Nuc Dimittis, in, in the life and the liturgy of the church? So the Nook Dimittis is from Luke chapter 2, and that is Simeon's canticle. After he held the infant Christ and the promise of the ages were fulfilled, and he prayed, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, up unto the word, to be the glory of thy people Israel. Many of our listeners probably know this as something we sing after the Lord's Supper on Sunday, and that's fine, that's great. That's relatively a relatively recent addition, maybe from the 1800s, give or take, that we sing it there. It actually has a, a longer pedigree as the canticle at Vespers, so essentially a prayer that you would pray later in Vespers. For our purposes here for Child Lost Month, it is in the Lutheran funeral liturgy, and it usually has the antiphon, that is a statement before and after Simeon's canticle, I am the resurrection and the life, the words of Jesus that now apply in that canticle 
to us as we prepare to depart in peace. And tell us about the recording that you've shared with us. Mm. Sarah, I, I believe you got to hear this ensemble recently. Correct? I did hear this piece live. I did. Last week. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Do you give the two thumbs up, Sarah? I do. Yes, it's beautiful. Okay. So you may have caught that. You have the program notes for Chance and Carnegie. you got a chance to read them. You may know more about this than I do. But Paul Smith, a living composer, I believe he sings in this particular choir, Boches 8, that was a choir of eight voices, and they really are spectacular. It's tempting with this canticle from Luke 2, since it was sung by Simeon, a single male voice, to give a solo part to a guy. And that, that's certainly fine. We have several settings where a man sings that alone or possibly a female. This is a choral setting. And I like the corporate statement for Simeon's Canticle, just because we normally sing it in a corporate context, nothing wrong with singing it individually. And it's about a two-minute setting or so. It is dissonant, and dissonant simply means you've got two notes that are so close together. In a way, it doesn't sound right. And yet, in the hands of a skillful composer and song well, it just gives a certain, to me, it depicts solemn joy. There's always a tension here. Somebody's dead, we're sad, that calls for musical dissonance, and yet there's a sense of peace in Christ, but we are departing in peace. And if you listen carefully to this particular setting, it is more or less through composed. That means you go right through the text, say left to right, as opposed to repeating certain things over and over again. But the exception in this piece is the phrase in pace, in peace. That was repeated three times, if I listen to it correctly, and it has silence each time. So it's in peace, in peace, in peace. And that describes the peace that we have in Christ, even when children have died, that we long for a reunion with them, the final resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And my prayer that goes with this one is as follows. Prince of peace to your healing spirit. Help us to lovingly accept every conceived child creating in your image and likeness as a messenger of peace and goodwill towards all people. And I love that phrase, created in your image and likeness. A reminder that life is sacred from conception to natural death. Normally, I would ask the guest a question, but now I have to ask Sarah a question. Oh. Since you got to hear this oh, live, boy. what was, <laughs> since you got to hear this live, just how would you describe this piece? Oh, you're putting me on the spot, Sorry. man. Nuctimidis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say the Nuctimidis is probably my favorite part of mm -hmm. our liturgy. So it had, it's got bonus points for that. I think it's just, it's very ethereal. It is a newer piece. So it's, it's not, it's not going to sound like something that was composed you know, 300, 500 years ago, but it, it will, it speaks to you in a different way because it's a, a newer composed piece and also the soprano line kind of soars. And I really love the end, the, uh, the Gloria Patri at the end. It was especially beautiful to me. So we'll provide the link with the, the program notes today as well. So listeners can check out that. Yes. Safe. With, we have about five minutes left, Chaplain. I want to talk a little bit more about how sacred music plays a role in your ministry as a pastor and particularly as a Navy chaplain. Um, you, you chose to look at sacred music as a means for healing 
for something that's particularly devastating for many people. How does sacred music play a role in the ways that you're given to serve? Sure. Keeping in mind that during wartime, a young Marine, I happen to be at School of Infantry West. So Marines who have been to their initial training at Marine Corps Recruit Depot. They've been several weeks there, and then they've had 10 days to go home and be proud and get some pictures. And then if they're going into infantry and think in terms of boots on the ground, actually holding and firing a weapon and climbing over mountains and hills and so forth, they then come here and they go to one other school. But ultimately, we're trying to get them into the fleet and to protect our country. They have a chance, and that's something we spend a great deal of time on. You might actually have to fire your weapon at somebody. But more to the point here, you might be making the ultimate sacrifice. And do not raise your hand and take that oath of office of what we are about here in the military, unless you mean it. And when in doubt, call well, well, call a training time out and let's talk to the chaplain. Okay, nobody is forcing you to take this oath. Should a Marine make the ultimate sacrifice and lose his life, at average age hovers probably around 19 or 20, keep in mind that is somebody's son, mom or dad or both, are very likely still alive. So when we do have a fatality, and that can happen in training, it can happen when a vehicle rolls off a mountain, and of course, it can happen at the tip of the spear. That is to say, a forward deployed situation, and then the American flag is neatly folded into the triangle. It is placed in the hands of a grieving. By default, we would go normally to the mother. Should the Marine be married, we would go to the wife or both and or the father. And if there's a Christian element in it within that service, the chaplain has the opportunity to share words of comfort and possibly even music of comfort. But again, we would sing during the most devastating times of life. But at this last piece we were talking about, this setting of Simeon's canticle, it gives us a certain quiet confidence that we know the dying Christian has been granted in Christ alone, that as he died and knows again, so this one who has died will rise again at the resurrection of all flesh. If I can conclude with an anecdote from a couple of years ago, some of us may know the names Don Duffner and Kurt Marquardt, both teachers at the Fort Wayne Seminary. Kurt Marquardt lost a grandchild uh, a number of years ago. And he and Donald Duffner went to the funeral of this, this child. If I could read just a couple of paragraphs here from a little book from Concordia Publishing House, At the Death of a Child, Words of Comfort and Hope by Don Duffner. He recalled this episode, and he says, About 20 mourners stood there silently as the couple looked down at the little white casket for the last time. The tall father had his arm around his wife. They lingered there for 10 or 15 minutes, not wanting to leave. No one moved. Time stood still. There was plenty of time now, too much time, in fact, in which to work through the pain ahead. A gentle breeze ruffled the hair of the baby's grandfather as he quietly said to me, just think of all the grief and heartache accumulated at this one spot, that is at the cemetery for small children, all those other parents. He paused. And then Kurt Marquardt said, just like all the grief centered on Calvary, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, but he also rose again from the dead. And that is the comfort that sacred music brings during this child lost month. 
Amen. Amen. Our guest today, the Reverend Brian Hamer, active duty Navy chaplain and author of the Lifted Voice column in Around the Word, Theology for the Curious Christian. We'll share the, some, the links to the music, uh, sacred music, in our show notes today as well. Chaplain Hamer, thank you so much for being our guest and for your insights on sacred music today. Thank you, Andy and Sarah. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.